here we are together on its Vision Sunday and, uh, and talking about the theme for the year is where we're going to go. Can't see the forest for the trees. That quote was first recorded as a saying in English uh, in 1546. 1546. Uh, a guy by the name of John Haywood it is credited with actually putting it into literature officially. And, uh, and we understand sort of what it means. It means to, in a sense, to, to major on minors, but that might not be really the literal sense, but it is to be so focused maybe on the details that we can get the details done without achieving the big picture. We can miss the big picture for our involvement with the details. And, and I think a lot of life can be like that, where we fight the details. Have you found that where you just seem to be juggling and wrestling the details? And, uh, and there's another old saying, you can win the battle and lose the war. And I think it, it fits in with that. In a sense, you, you can achieve the micro and actually lose the macro, lose the big picture. And, and I think one example of this is sometimes God's people with God's will and what God has for their life. I, I often meet Christians and they're good people. These are the good ones. Can we just agree with that for a start? Someone who wants to know what God's got for their life, that's one of the good ones. That's someone who's, you know, not so totally self-focused that it's all about them, but, but is actually actively wanting to discover God's will. But, you know, sometimes uh, we can get caught in the details even with that. And we have to understand that the micro plan, if we could put it that way, of God for our life, God in us, God working through the individual is only ever going to be found within the macro plan. At the end of the day, when we say, I'd like to know God's will, we actually are saying we want to know what God wants. And there's a big difference between that and asking God to bless what we want. Okay, I'm getting unpopular right now, I can tell. You've stopped amening and started going, oh, oh. And so what I want to talk to us today or focus in on is really, I think, the big picture of God's will. Now, I know that we, we had about 160 team members here on Tuesday night. We had dinner together. We had a fantastic time. And I preached the bulk of this message then. So just buckle in. If you were here already, you're going to hear it again. Think about the interns who've just started today. 16 amazing interns this year who've started today, their first official day, and uh, they'll hear it three times this week. Yeah, Rosie Kayla laughed the loudest because she's been, she knows exactly what I'm talking about and it just gets better every time, doesn't it, Rosie? It does. And so I want to talk to us today about the big picture in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, Paul's theses of the church, his theses of what God is doing in the world through Jesus Christ. What is it all about? And Paul encapsulates it. Paul captures it in six chapters of the book of Ephesians. 
And I want to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 through 10. And this year, we are going to revisit the book of Ephesians regularly all year around this theme of come together, because come together is our theme for the year. And this sense of, and it's not just, well, that's a, that's a pithy saying. That's a good hashtag, Pastor Chris. Beyond this, that, this is a biblical mandate. And I don't just mean sitting in church. So let's go to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter one, verse nine and 10, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation, that's a big word, of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. And Paul just keeps making this point. He wants to gather everything together, come together in Christ, in him. Wants to gather all things together. And so I'm just going to make some quick observations and then do a little bit of a history lesson and then make an application. Is that okay? You ready for that? So this first, I just want to pull this apart and maybe explain that big word really quickly, but just phrase by phrase. Paul is saying about God, he's made known to us the mystery of his will. He has made it known. It is now plain. The mystery of the will of God is no longer a mystery. And yet sometimes we act as though it is. What is that? It's been made plain to us as so many great people run around trying to discover what has already been made plain. Paul goes on to explain what it is. This mystery revealed, this this is what God's all about, is according to his good pleasure. I love the way Paul unpacks this. He doesn't just throw out a simple bottom line, but he gives the process He colours it in. He says, this is according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. It's like God had a conference and he did and he can. Three persons in one. So the Trinity has its own little conference and this is what actually pleased God, what gave him great pleasure when he discovered exactly what he wanted. And he came aside to do that, had a conference with himself, the living word, the the eternal creative spirit and the creator himself. And they're together having a conference. And of course, the Holy Spirit being a creative said, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. And of course, God said, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. <laughs> yeah, right. I tell you what, I'm doing a lot of singing today. I might be ready for an album release, I think. Garth will be proud. And here it is that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times. That word dispensation, it, it literally means stewardship 
or provision. And, and Paul's thought is that God as eternal creator is dispensing or he is using time as a resource. All of human history, all of history as we know it, all of time as we know it has been part of God's plan. He has been happy to invest it in what his will and purpose is. That in the fullness of the dispensation of the times, Paul is headed towards it. It's like, I want to tell you, God's will is no mystery. And, and what he has thought up has given him incredible pleasure. And he is prepared to spend all of what we understand as time in achieving it. And we have to understand that time is no more than a parenthetical insertion in eternity. Of eternity, and then we have the history of man as we know it. Brackets, the redemptive work and act of God, and at some point in the future, we're going to hit the other end of time and it will dissolve again back into eternity and things will go on the way God always intended them to be. But in this moment, we live in the brackets. <laughs> we're living in that bit. And Paul's saying, God, to do what he wants to do, is happy to spend all of that on his will and purpose because it gives him pleasure. And here is his will and purpose, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him, which when you think about it, God wanting to gather it together reflects the fact that God is not really thinking that it's together now. As far as God's concerned, he looks at things and there is a lack. It is not as together as he would like it to be. Now, now he loves you, but he's not happy with how together your life is. The thought about who's ever felt like Humpty Dumpty? A bit like Jesus is picking up the pieces and putting Humpty together again. So aren't you glad God looks at you and it's like it's not finished? And I'm actually prepared to spend all of time helping you pull it back together. <laughs> this is what gives him pleasure, is bringing things back together. So I want to talk to you about the concept of come together today. And to do that, I think in a sense, we have to look at how things came apart. If God's not happy with it, what happened? Because as, as far as I can say, if I look at the first chapter of Genesis and, and the creation story, you know, God doesn't say much. As a matter of fact, he just keeps repeating to himself, let there be, and it is good. That's pretty well a summary of what God says, all the key bits in the whole creation stories story. Let it be. It is good. Let it be. It is good. Let it be, and it was good. So what has happened? We, we know that in a broad sense. Man stepping out of communion with God has brought a lot of pain. But I, I want to go to a 
biblical picture, an old story that, that paints it. I want to look at it on a social level. Daniel chapter 1. And we're not going to look at, I'm just going to tell the story. Is that okay? Probably won't look at any scripture, but Daniel chapter 1 is an incredible story. And often when we say Daniel, we're going to go to the book of Daniel. The first thing we think of is, oh, that's the one with the lion's den. Isn't it? That's the one with the lion's den. Um, you know, and he didn't get eaten overnight. And it was amazing. And it's a great story. Uh, or we look at it with the boys in the furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Sorry to use their, their renamed, rebranded names. It's amazing. We remember what they were rebranded with and we don't remember what God called them. But Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego end up in the fire for refusing to bow down to the king and uh, Jesus steps into the fire with them. There's a fourth man in the fire and they are saved through it. And we think of those stories and it's so easy to go there. It's so easy to actually be so enamoured with the stories that we miss the message what that book teaches us. And it begins in chapter 1. Chapter 1 is uh, an incredible literary piece that paints a, a picture of a society overcome and broken down, a society that is fragmented. And uh, in 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, comes up against Judah, their capital city, Jerusalem. And they've been holding out for a while. But in 605, Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world, running the most powerful world system of its day, comes up and besieges Jerusalem. And there's stories in scripture of just how desperate that siege became. He, he besieged Jerusalem, surrounded it. No one came out. No one went in to that city for three years. In the end, a donkey's head was worth a lot of money and people were selling dove's dung to eat. Eventually, people ate their children. That's how desperate the siege became. And then the city walls fell sometime around 600 AD. And then from 597 right back to 586, there were deportations of the people from inside the city back out to Babylon. And that's where Daniel and the boys fit in. That's their background. There's a couple of amazing verses. I think it's verse 4 says, Then Ashpenaz, the, the king of the or, or the king commanded Ashpenaz, the head of his eunuchs, to pick out a whole heap of young men that were bright and that were sharp and that were educated and take them back to Babylon and literally re-educate them so that they could serve in his king's court. And have this story of this city broken down and then people not only killed and everything that all the violence that happened within the city, but more than that, the breakdown of the fabric of a society. Because when we talk about a war and a and a, maybe a siege and a, a breakdown of a city and a lot of people, you know, murdered at that point and then a lot of people exported, forced to intermarry as slaves. It's very familiar to us now. We call it ethnic cleansing. But often we look at Bible books and because it's people from long ago, it, it doesn't register with us. This is what's happening. And this ethnic cleansing happened and these boys end up back being trained to work for the 
false king. They'd grown up in, in, in Judah's king's court with some knowledge of the Most High God and they are transported off to a foreign nation to serve a different king. I'm not sure whether any of this story is sounding familiar to you. That great next generation of leaders is what the enemy always targets in a society. And they're carted off and, uh, and re-educated. Uh, and there's one verse that says that the king appointed a portion of his delicacies, the king's very own, a daily portion. And I think verse 8 it is, is where Daniel really shines. And it says, but Daniel refused to eat. He refused the re-education. He refused the integration into that culture. He made a stand and he stood against it. And that's why we think of Daniel. That's why we think of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, because no matter what pressure that uh, foreign invading culture put on them, they weren't going to bow the knee. They weren't going to go the way the rest of they, the, what they saw their society go. They stood out because they stood their ground. When everything else was sliding and everything else was out of control. And you know, it is a ancient story, an ancient story of a modern reality. And we often don't think about our society like that as being under siege or do you? I think we can see it pretty plainly, whether you're looking in the political channels, whether you're looking globally or even just locally. And you see people being pressured and the pressure is making people come apart at the seams. You see it in marriages. And even within the church is not immune. You see the pressure that is put on to break people down. Here's the interesting thing, Babylon, that word Babylon, that kingdom Babylon, the word literally means confusion, fragmentation, scattering. So you have this picture of the false king coming in and determined to take a society captive and scatter it and confuse it. And fragment it down into the littlest pieces. No wonder God says, my plan in Jesus is to bring all the pieces back together again. And of course, this starts in our own lives on a micro level. As I said, who's ever felt like Humpty? This is where Humpty fits in right here. Humpty Dumpty. And you might have fallen off a wall, but if you find yourself here, it's most likely today, for most of us, most of us have opened our hearts to the will and the purpose and the plan of God, even if we didn't think about it in these terms. And amazingly, that's exactly what he's doing. He's beginning to bring the broken fragments back together, whatever has been scattered, whatever has been confused. Come on, the Bible says God is not the author of confusion. That's not, confusion doesn't come from him, yet so many people are running around confused in our society. 
about what comes next. That's not God's plan, God's purpose. His plan and purpose, no matter what's happened to you, no matter how you've been taken captive, no matter how the the enemy armies have overrun your personal life, whether it's in your finances or your health or your relationships or whatever concerns you, God's plan is to begin bringing it back together. And it starts on the micro, and it's pretty good, eh? Think about it. Now, we've got a society that's relationally scattered, financially scattered. How is it that, that we earn, you know, more money per capita, even if you're not one of the lucky ones that's at the tip of the spear, earnings-wise? Uh, even a poor, poor person in our society is better off than someone a couple of hundred years ago who was probably in the middle of society. How could it be that in such a prosperous time, in spite of the current financial climate, but let's just talk about the last hundred years, how is it that the most wealthy and prosperous people in the Western world carry the most debt they've ever carried? And you start to think when, when that bucks the trend of how life should work, maybe there's something else at work in it. Relationally, parents and children with health, Think of mental health. I mean, anxiety is like a plague. We're worried about coronavirus, and and so we should be, but it's like the thing is coming apart at the seams. And every time we have a medical breakthrough or something, we put it back together. Have you ever noticed it all starts coming undone again? We deal with SARS, we deal with the bird view, and then we've got corona. I'm waiting for Heineken in five years' time. There'll be something else. That was a really bad dad joke. Not in my notes, obviously. But but you understand what I mean? It's like yeah, we keep putting it back together with our own hands, but it just keeps coming apart at the seams. And I suggest it's because there's something deeper and darker at play. And I also suggest that God has brought a remedy to it. God is prepared to spend all of time. It will give him great pleasure spending his time finding the broken pieces, whether that's of your life or our society or globally. God is very happy to invest all of time to pull things back to where they were always meant to be. So leaving the boys and talking about us, I mean, this is good news. This is the context for all things. The the brokenness of society is the context for the all things that Jesus wants to do, to pull together earthly creation and, and connect it back to heavenly reality, to where it all came from in the first place. The experience and the domain of man connected to the experience, life and domain of God. That's what heaven is. I think it's why worship gatherings are so powerful. I don't know about you, but when Ange was doing the, hey, oh, I'm like, oh, my, I'm getting like my hair standing up in the back of my neck. It's not a long journey for it. It doesn't, doesn't take long. I reckon the hair stands up in the back of my neck faster than anyone in here. You know, just got to do that. Anyway. But I think that's why it's powerful because in a moment, in a moment you like see through the veil. It's like a little bit of heaven starts to bleed through. God's presence, God's reality begins to bleed through the 
the screen of our flesh, the screen of our distraction, the, the wall of, uh, of our, uh, how would I put it, our insecurity that we build lest God see who we really are or others. And in a moment of worship, gee, I hope you experience that. If you don't, try closing your eyes and lifting your hands and let a bit of heaven bleed through into your life because you get a glimpse of where God wants to take it all, not us going someplace else called heaven, but as Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as he puts all things back together. We experience a touch of our creator. We get a glimpse, we have a shadow, we see a reflection. Come on, who's had that in a time of worship? I think we get the same thing from nature, don't we? If you actually get out into creation and enjoy it, whether that's sitting on a mountaintop, looking at a blue sky, whether that's sitting on the beach, listening to waves roll in, and all of a sudden you find yourself connecting with something beyond yourself. And, and some people will be like cringing right now because it's like, oh, he sounds a little bit new agey. No, I sound a little bit Pauline. Romans chapter 1. The whole of creation is screaming in our faces of a creator. Paul says that to the point where whether you're spiritual or not, whether you claim to be a Christian or have a relationship with God or not, whether you believe in God or not, doesn't matter. You have no excuse if you encounter creation and can't say there's a creator. You're choosing not to believe the obvious. We have that moment of connection. Well, that Jesus wants that to be an eternal thing. And I love what he does. I love the fact that spirit, soul, and body. I, man, the day I got born again, I haven't been the same since. I haven't always been perfect. Just ask suit. But I've never changed. It changed something in me permanently. And things that God, healings that God has done in my body that I praise him for. And yes, like you, I fight with paradoxes in that area, but I'm still believing for the whole thing. And what he does to collect your soul, to refresh your heart, to remove you from destructive behaviors, to pull you back into a realm where your life begins to feel like, man, it's just like it's all coming back together. Come on. Is there anyone here who, when you received Jesus, you started to get this feeling like, I think things are finally beginning to come back together. Well, that's because that's God's plan. That's his will for your life is to bring it all back together. But here, if we're not careful, it's so good that we stop there. And if we stop there, we're in danger of thinking this is actually all about us. God loves putting us back together, but we've got to understand that is only on the way to the big thing. What's happening micro, what's happening in the individual, what's happening in the micro-connective is only headed towards something so much bigger. And if we camp there, we begin to think my whole life consists of, of me finding the will of God and me doing well and me prospering and me growing. God wants to do all of that. But listen, aim higher. I love that old saying, you know, if you, if you aim at the stars, you might hit the moon. 
And I think that's why God gives us vision like that. I want to bring all things in heaven and on earth. I want to bring them all back together. And it might start with your life, but it doesn't finish there. It's so much bigger than that. So much bigger than that. And so we, if we get caught up, just that it's about us, it's incredible. But if it becomes about us, it's selfishness. And selfishness has to be the opposite of the gospel, doesn't it? So we end up pursuing Jesus for the gospel and the good news and even asking Jesus into our lives and then we become more selfish than we ever were. If we're not careful, we circle the wagons, we make it all about us or we can go, I've got to lift up my eyes, there's something more going on here. And so then we get to the, the macro, the, 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 uh, the bigger. If you go back to Daniel and the boys was their refusal to integrate into society, their refusal to accept the culture being foisted upon them that made them stand out. And we live in the most individualistic, selfish culture that has ever been created on the planet, I think. Come on, could we admit that? It's all about us. We turn on the television or open a screen or whatever and it's all about making your life better. They stood out. Because they refused, even if it meant they didn't eat the king's delicacies, even if it meant pain and going through the fire, they were determined to live for something bigger than just themselves. And this is what Paul is talking about. Friends, the will of God, it's going to bless you. I mean, following Jesus is going to bless you. Come on, we believe in being blessed, don't we? But there's something bigger. There's something on the other side. And I think for me, I've become more and more convinced this is just the original, getting back to the original vocation of man to reflect our creator to the planet, whether that's to the person over the fence or or whether that's to an animal in the field, to somehow be a reflection of our creator to his creation. And I've said it a few times, it sounds a bit controversial, but it's not. Christians should be the greatest carers for the planet that the planet has. We've given, we've forfeited that space to political nonsense, whereas actually the stewardship of the world was originally given to people created in the image of God. And his people should bear it. Come on, this isn't just about, can I get my little life together? This is about, can... I let God get me together enough so that my life can influence the big picture. Could it potentially flow through me to not just touch me and not just touch what concerns me, not just touch my family or or this little circle of people that I really, really care about, but could I allow my life to be carried to a level where it influences a whole society? Isn't this what Jesus was talking about when he says, you are the light of the world. You're like a light bulb that when plugged back into your Creator, you light up the room with His glory. You reflect who He is to everyone around you. We need to be careful we don't just sort of settle for less. I think of the Gadarene demoniac. He's a good case study. Crazy. Out of his mind. Violent. 
living amongst the tombs, living in a graveyard, screaming and howling at the moon, literally. Destroyed, fragmented in every way. You can even see it in the demon infestation that lives within him called Legion. His personality was split that many different ways by what was living in him. He was the picture of Babylon at work. Scattered, fragmented life. And of course, he has an encounter with Jesus. And when the people come out to see what had happened, they saw him clothed and in his right mind. It's a beautiful picture of God just wanting to bring things together, don't you think? But here's the interesting thing. And you can understand why he did it. It, The Scripture says he begged Jesus. He begged Jesus. I think the only other person that begs Jesus is a blind man. And this guy's already got his healing. He's not begging for his healing. He begs Jesus that he might go with him. Oh, Jesus, where you are, where you put me back together, that's where I want to stay. This is where I want to be. It's a beautiful picture, not just of healing, but discipleship, clothed and in right mind. Thinking straight, seeing the world straight, behaving differently than he'd ever behaved before. And you can't blame him for just wanting to camp with Jesus. Peter did the same, didn't he? The Mount of Transfiguration. Let's just, let's just put up some tents and stay here in the glory. If we're not careful, that's us in church life. Just love what you've done in my life, Lord. I just keep giving honour to you. But Jesus said to him, go back to your family. Actually, it wasn't his family. He said, go back to your friends. Go back to your friends and tell them all that God has done for you. If I could put it in the phrasing of this morning's message, the sense of this morning's message, I'd say, go back to your friends and tell them how God has put your life back together. Tell them how he's brought all the fragments and the brokenness, that legion of things, that which means many, that legion of things which tore you apart. How Jesus brought it all back together. And now your life has been made whole. You've been brought back together. And, and, and I think, He's a perfect picture of what God wants to do through us. Hey, listen, don't ask what the will of God is. Yes, we do need to make decisions. But honestly, if you get the big one right, everything else will fall into place. What this is about is Him putting the world back together. And it begins with you. And listen to it. Then it continues through you. It begins with you, but don't camp there. It begins with you, but don't make it about you. It begins with you, but don't embrace a selfish gospel. Let it carry through you to touch others. Can I just ask us some questions as we close? Help us apply. Help us think about the message. Are you allowing him to gather together your fragments so that you become a little bit of heaven on earth? Are you allowing him to? Because that is a choice. You know, it's always amazed me why Jesus said to people, 
do you want to be made whole? Of course they do, don't they? Not always, because sometimes our unwholeness is a meal ticket to affection and connection. And Do you want to be made whole? Do you want him to pull the pieces back together? Is a question we've got to ask ourselves. Become a little bit of heaven on earth, part of the solution. Another thought is, have you considered your part in this much bigger picture? You know, how often does our personal together affect the brokenness around us is a great question for us to ask ourselves. Another question, are my words, my actions, responses, stitching things together or tearing them apart in the circles that we move and travel in, in our workplace, in our schools, in our places of education, employment, whatever it is, our businesses, Are our words pulling it together or scattering our actions? Another question, do I live disconnected even in a crowd? Because that's possible. They say the worst form of loneliness is being in a crowd and feel alone. That's definitely the worst form of loneliness. But, But sometimes that's a choice too. Sometimes we don't want to let people too close because that might mean change. That might mean responsibility. Do I live connected? Am I reticent to enter community or only dipping my toes in because this is what suits me? I'll dip into connection. Remember Ezekiel walks into the river of God and he goes up to his ankles and he feels compelled to go to his knees and he feels compelled to go to his waist. He ends up swimming. He's a great picture of how to immerse yourself in the community of God? Or do we just go, I'm not sure I want to go any deeper. And I just suggest that you're not going to be part of seeing the big thing come to pass unless you pass that obstacle first. Is your focus on what God is doing in you and for you or what God is doing through you for those around you? Because that's how we get to big picture. The will of God is that all things would come together. All of human history has been moving towards it. And the question for us, and I think for 2020, for us as we deliberately focus on this facet of truth, the question for us is, are you going to be part of it? Because I know for me, I've changed the church calendar around. I've changed staff around. I've changed budgets around. I've changed all kinds of things to point at this this year and the only missing piece will be your response to the invitation. Thank you, Greg. Come on, who wants to be part? Rejoicing, Jesus putting our lives back together and determined to allow it to flow and for him to begin bringing healing and pulling all things together by using our lives. Who's up for that? Who's up for that? Why don't you stand with me if you are? There we go. There we go. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you this morning. Uh, as, as we're gathered in your presence, Lord, I, I pray that we would lift our eyes and not just get stuck on the things that are right in front of us and the things that push in on our lives, the details of our lives. Some of those things we have to address and some of them are just a perpetual distraction 
Help us to discern the difference, Father. and Help us to see what you have in mind over your creation. Help us get a picture of view that is so much higher than our own. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I, I want to pray for a, a group of people very specifically today. And You know, even as I've spoken, you've just had like a penny drop about this is what Jesus is doing in you. And it's even been confrontational where you think, man, I need to respond or I I need to to change the way I'm thinking or the way I'm reacting in that situation because now I can see that God is actually trying to pull things together. And and maybe you've even felt a bit like, I think I might have been fighting God on bringing things back together for me. Uh, Come on, if that's you, just, just put that on the altar of your heart. I want to pray for you right now. Maybe even just raise a hand right where you are. Father, I just pray for grace for people right now in seeing your your will, your purpose in their lives and beyond. In Jesus' name, I pray, Father, for uh, a confidence and a surrender that trusts you, that you know best and that you can bring all things back together, starting with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And just one more group of people, just while their heads are bowed and their eyes are closed. Just, just some other folk I want to pray for. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Chris, I've never felt like, you know, God has come into my life and begun to put me back together. When you talk about Humpty Dumpty, hey, I'm a classic. I recognize the symptoms. I recognize the scattering, the brokenness, the confusion. Uh, but maybe you've never let Jesus in. Maybe you've, maybe you've never actually enlisted God's help in that sense and surrendered to him and said, God, help me. Help me put my life back together. I'll follow you. And I want to give you the opportunity to say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to allow him to put me back together today. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And um, maybe you've done it in the past, but you realize I need to do this afresh. Uh, More specifically, if you're here today and you've never surrendered your heart, opened your heart to Jesus, friend, he loves you and this is his purpose. This is his will. That whatever's been broken, he wants to begin putting back together. Whatever's been shattered in your life, whatever's been scattered, he comes into your world and he begins to put you back together literally. And maybe you're here and you recognize, Chris, I need that. I need Jesus today. I I want you to respond too. Would you just raise a hand right where you are? Yep, awesome. God bless you. You can put it down again. Yep, God bless you. Awesome. Yep, you can put it down again, mate. That's fantastic. Others in this place, just just before we pray, just want to join these folk this morning. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you for people who are just opening their hearts to you right now. Thank you for meeting them wherever they are on their journey. And we thank you, Father, for doing an amazing work in their hearts and in their lives. The rebuilding process begins today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, look, we're going to pray this prayer together. And maybe if you responded for the first time, I'd encourage you to make this your prayer. If this is the first time you've opened your heart to Jesus, just make this prayer your own. Use it to express what you're sensing in your heart right now. And and all the church will pray along with you as you do. Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life. And I'll follow you. Amen. Mm-hmm. Pastor Sue's going to come and let you know how you can um, connect.
keep moving forwards after making a decision like that to follow Jesus. Uh, for all of us, come on, who's ready? Who reckons they're going to sing the theme song better next time we do it? I mean, whenever I walk on and you hear that bass line, you know what's going to happen next, okay? Okay, I'd love to see. I might even get some people up and do some church karaoke. Um, there is maybe one verse that I don't want you to memorize, but all the others are quite cool. They're quite okay. They're pretty disconnected thoughts. I mean, walrus gumboots. That is one of the lines. He's got walrus gumboots. I don't know what that is. But anyway, we might find out one day. Let's continue to let Jesus put us back together and never forget the fact that he wants to use us to pull all things back together. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Sue.